the moon is upside down and a big eyeball looks up at you through the toilet. Welcome to Night Vale. Ooh. So it's gotten to that point. The sheriff of Night It's at that point, yeah, where we're just nipping. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the sheriff of Night Vale, who is also a wasp, said don't worry about the helicopters flying above the glow-in-the-dark church. They're meant to have mouths with tongues hanging out. Oh. Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> oh, it's mysterious. Look at that cow over there. That cow's got the legs of a salamander. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> and that's the end of my original screenplay that I'm going to uh, show to Hollywood. Mm. Hollywood, America. You know, I bet I bet you could uh, take it to Quibi. I bet Quibi'd take it. <laughs> uh, I, 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 ha- I have very much enjoyed some Welcome to Night Vale in my time, but... My God, I fell off that show hard and cannot get back into it. Exactly. I think that happens to everyone because it happened to me and you. That's proof. Yeah, it, it happened to Jane as well. It, it, it's not that it's not good. The problem is, is I stop listening to it. And then I feel like, oh, God, there is way too much interconnected lore here. I have to start back from the beginning. And I get like 20 episodes in and I'm like, I can't re-listen to all of this to Man. get back to where the new stuff is. It's interesting because I discovered Night Vale like right after we'd settled on the premise and started doing fish shark marketing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> shit. This is the direction I want to go. Just unscripted. I can't listen to this anymore. Yeah. Because I don't want to like pollute my brain with their ideas. And now I look at just the mass that it's become. And congratulations to Joseph Fink and, you know, Weller on all their success but i couldn't possibly now i still enjoy some of their like occasionally they'll do like standalone things that i don't have to be up to date on that show with and i'll enjoy them i saw a live show back when those were you know things we could do where you could physically go out into the world it was a whole little play they did about uh, a monster that was invading a theater and it was a lot of like and it starts to creep over the scene don't look and just a lot of like playing on the, the the space that they were doing the thing in. That that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I think they're very creative and fun, and they produce a product that's just too much for me. Yeah, that's fair. It's I I, I sit here like oh I've not got it in me to catch back up on Welcome to Night Vale, and then I binged 160 episodes of the Magnus Archives in like a month. So apparently, like I can do it. I just don't. <laughs> you know Galactus. Eater of Worlds. That one what eats the planets, yeah. Eater of Worlds, Galactus, yeah, the, the big lad. The, <laughs> the tall fella. The planet muncher. The guy who, eat, he, he treats planets like Maltesers. Yeah. The, the, the one that looked that they, you know, were working on making a really big sentinel, clearly, and then just sort of changed their mind mid-go. The hungry vegan, mm-hmm. right? I, this has been plaguing my mind for a while, right? You know he likes to go next to planets and have a bit of a gobble. Yeah. Yeah, it does. He's a big fan of the gobble. If he's if he does that right on your planet and you look at what what he's so big what do you see just purple can you make out any of him or is it just entirely black because he's blotted out the sun if he's on the other side of the planet do you see anything is there a point on planet Earth where you couldn't see Galactus in the sky he's so big you can substitute him for Unicron if you don't know Galactus everyone on Earth knows one or the other well see the Earth is a curve so eventually towards the horizon you would see you know you'd see slightly further than the flat surface but like 
I suppose if he's far enough away, then, you know, there'd be a bell curve. You'd eventually, you'd originally be able to see bit of the sky, bit of Galactus. By the time he's doing a munch, it, you're right, it's probably just going to be gaping more. Yeah, there'd be, you know, uh, a period of time, you know, where you'd have, like, a galactus eclipse of the sun in some parts of the Earth, and then right on the edges, you'd be able to see the reflections of, like, the edges of them. But I don't know that you'd ever penetrate in to see, like, Galactus's balls. No. I don't think you'd be able to make out, like... You wouldn't even know you were looking at his pecker if you were. And, and they're the, they've got to be the size of moons, so... I'm going to make an argument that you can see his big old, big old testicles, which is, <laughs> let's say he's decided, I'm going to have a munch of Earth, and he, he he has a munch on somewhere on the equator. Tasty. I reckon if you're on the South Pole, if you were, if you were right down the bottom... You could probably, you know, you're probably pointing towards... Catch a bit of dangle? Yeah, you're prob- probably, like, See you know... See a little uh, corona around? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you you could probably whip out a telescope, you know, one of the big Hubble ones, and you'd probably see his, his dick and balls. I bet it would look like one of those fractals. If you could see Galactus's balls, if you could make them out, and remember, he is massive. Yeah. <laughs> there must be a point underneath his scrotum where when you look up into the sky, you see nothing but scrotum. <laughs> it's yeah. just the entire sky one day is a testicle, just like a big giant bit of bullsack. It's the galactic. <laughs> oh, what a horrible thing. Um, um, <laughs> imagine that, if you will, dear listener. Now there's your night veil, Previce. <laughs> just, just imagine, if you will, a bunch of people on Earth who've gone, I don't want to get gobbled up by Galactus. They're far off a spaceship. They're like, we're, we're going to escape. We'll find somewhere new to live. They're going to live on the Galactane. They'll just, you know, go hide under there. Galactus is never going to find you there. When you look up in the sky and you see the stars, which you are really seeing are the gaps in the folds in the skin of Galactus's taint, which envelops us all at night. Mm. In a way, it's almost comforting. (laughs) If you were Galactus, which bit of Earth would you eat first? Bear in mind, I'm going to use it to judge your political beliefs. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I will say this. I don't know where I'm eating first, but I'll save the North and South Poles for last because they're cold and ice cream is like a dessert thing. I feel like those should be like the palate cleanser you have to, to, to wash it all down. Like a nice sorbet. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine... Can you imagine how disappointed Galactus must be when he finally gets here and he looks at dessert and just thinks, oh, it's melted. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Galactus got here first. <laughs> <laughs> we ruined the planet before you could. You're eating a husk. Yeah. With, it's basically like a Big Mac now that's been left under a radiator, you fucking fool. Your main course is overheated. It's burned to a crisp. It's not worth eating. We melted your dessert. Why are you even bothering at this point? We literally cooked in a microwave for Galactus. Also... I, I wouldn't eat Earth right now if I were you. You might, you know, it oh. might not treat you too well on your stomach. Oh, it'd be like that one Waffle House in Mississippi that I saw. I say saw, I was inside it when I saw <laughs> it. And it had lots of things scurrying about. And then I've, I've never been able to feel safe in a Waffle House again. It was like Joe's apartment in there. I mean, I wouldn't eat something with this many, like creatures crawling all over its surface. Like, he's missed the five seconds rule. Not to begin with, though. God, Joe's apartment. Kids, ask your parents to ask their weird friend from high school about Joe's apartment. Uh. 
That's all right. Everyone knows Joe's apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a real. It's a legendary <laughs> film. Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> this is him, right? That's him in I that. Can't... I probably I can't quite I recall. I just remember the the funny cockroaches now. Oh man, I remember the original sketch, um, and that was amazing when it first aired on MTV. Yeah, Jerry O'Connell. Oh my God. Funky towel, towel's got the funk. Fuck, now it's going to be in my head all day. Well. Oh shit, Billy West is in this too. The point is, is that Billy West is a good actor. (laughs) (laughs) And really that's what this podcast has been all about. He can do all the voices, Stimpy and Ren. You look back on the span of Pod Toys, or... (laughs) (laughs) The what? Uh, you look back on the span of Podquisition as a as a whole, and you see ultimately that that the whole point was Billy West is a fine actor, yeah, and that Robin Pat- Pattinson is the man who will be the Batman. <laughs> I'm so glad that I I can do that for him. I think he'll be fine. He's going to be great. He's an actor. That's the thing. He's not Edward Cullen. That's that's what the point I've been trying to make. Yeah. Oh. People think he is like the Twilight series on legs, but he's he's an actor. So he can actually pretend to be a different character. No, he just carried the Twilight series, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. B- Billy West is a, is a lovely man. I met him once at a, at a convention. I'd This was when I couldn't afford to go like regularly, so I was like I agreed to do some unpaid work to get a ticket for a con and I was I was host like I was basically checking tickets as people went into a Billy West panel and afterwards him and the other panel people were like Hey, all the people who stayed doing unpaid work for this convention to make sure we could do a panel, come to our after party. And we had a lovely time. He seems like a real lovely lad from what I from what I remember. He's a good boy. Well, he's also 68 years old. God, really? Fuck. fuck. No, fuck me. Fucking Oh, hell. welcome to Nightvale. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Podquisition. It's a video game podcast, ostensibly. We occasionally talk man, about video man. games and whether they're great or perfect. There's three of us. There's me, I'm Laura, there's Conrad, there's Jim. I don't know if we ever tell people who we are, but this is us. Hello. I almost feel like this point, if you don't know, what's the point? Well, they do know, because I just told them. Right. That that way, like, someone won't think to themselves, oh my god, it really is like Welcome to Night Vale. Like, I, I was already a bit worried because it sounded so authentic at the beginning. But I can't dig into this. It's too deep and too dense. There's too much lore for my position. <laughs> but what, what Laura's done here is like a sort of New 52 soft reboot. <laughs> So some of what's already happened is established law, but like the famous stuff, like when Conrad shot Barbara Gordon in the back. We've moved out of the Billy West era. The only parts of Podquisition that are now canon are the three of us and our names, and that we tell you whether your favourite video games are great or perfect. We've retconned everything else in the canon of the show. The Sword of Secrets is still still canon, though. Oh, yeah. Our our quest for the Sword of Secrets that we did in Season (laughs) 3. Of course. All of the hidden clues as to where you can find the Sword of Secrets are still encoded into the audio of the episode. You just have to listen. Oh, yeah. The, the, The plastic one is still buried under that tree. Nobody solved the arg. Who's played a video game this week? It wasn't even a good arc. It was just the photo of the tree, and I said, look for that, and no one bothered. I mean, the the photo was geotagged. It had coordinates still buried under the tree. 
It's amazing. It's right next to the one where I buried the bones. <gasps> so, who's played a video game this week? <laughs> I think we've all probably played some. I've played one. I'm going to tell you about one of the ones that I've played, if that's okay. Oh, if, please do. If you will permit me this, this crime against our comedy goals. I'm, I'm angry you haven't done it like 10 minutes ago. Right, well, you could have saved us all a long time ago from the slow gasping death of these hey, bits. Hey, hey, The moment I said before we hit record that I've written a play, you should have immediately said, no, stop. Hey, I got us onto video games in under 15 minutes. I think that is a miracle given the circumstances. Only because after that, our pizza's free. <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to pay for Pulquisition if I take more than 15 minutes to wrangle it to video games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I've been I've been playing a bunch of like old shit that I, from previous years this week. It's been very much a go back and play other stuff kind of week. The closest to playing something new I did this week was I very carefully experimented with playing VR games outside, hmm. which is a thing. So I talked about this a bit last year. I have the Oculus Quest, which is... It's, 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 it's a really nice um, VR headset that doesn't require being plugged into a computer, being run off your phone, doesn't need sort of fancy base stations in the corner of the rooms or a camera pointing to work out where you are. It has little cameras built onto the outside of the headset and it uses those to track where you are in 3D space. It is a surprisingly like robust VR headset that you just press a button, it's on. I still think it is like that's the direction that like once this tech gets cheaper, VR might actually be a thing that takes off because taking away a lot of the faff of setup really makes it that much easier to to actually want to play around with this kind of thing. But yeah, as the weather's been nice and I've been feeling that whole feeling of oh god, I'm inside, I need to not feel like I'm inside. Ugh, um, I decided. I will go sit out on me on me front step. I've got a little bit of shade. Feel the breeze of outdoors, and and you know play some some virtual reality games. You know, not inside. Get the get the the feeling I've gone on an adventure or something. And I was surprised at how well VR works outside. It doesn't work perfectly. There are some caveats for sure. And I will say up front, there is a major warning to give you if you do wish to play VR games outside, which is. The two lenses that you put up near your eyes, those ones, are basically huge magnifying glasses. Do not point the sun and those lenses at each other. The rest of the headset is fine. Don't fucking magnifying glass the sun and, and melt the inside of your screen in your headset. That's... Don't sound ideal, does it? Yeah, that's the warning to give you up front is don't... Don't go, I'm going to leave this in the baking sun with these lenses facing up at the sun. That's a bad idea. Be aware of that before you take any of my advice here. But the headset tracks perfectly well sat outside. You can sit out on a nice sunny day. It keeps track of where you're looking. Anything that just needs you to be looking around in VR works perfectly fine. Any VR games that require you to do motion controls, like your sort of Beat Sabers or Super Hot VR, stuff like that, where you're moving your hands around, cannot be played with your hands or the controllers in direct sunlight. The cameras basically can't fucking see what's going on. That said, if you've got like a little bit of shade, like, hey, my house casts a shadow over this bit of the garden and it's still warm, but... It's not, you know, directly being hit by the sun. Works totally fine. You can play all the VR games outside and they work totally well. 
And any VR games that are button-based, uh, Tetris Effect, for example, just got a port to the uh, the Quest like pretty recently, play totally well regardless of how bright the sunshine is. So I, I've been very much enjoying having, you know, some some warmth on my skin and a nice breeze and not That's not nice. feeling like I'm in the same four walls while playing VR. You just might need like a big umbrella and not to p- point these two particular lenses directly at the sun. In general, you want to... Yeah, you want to keep things away from the sun. Yeah, sun's big scary ball in the sky. It's it's the, the sun is angry and it will heat you with its rays. Welcome to Night Vale. Oh, oh god, yeah. god, the sun's really scary when you think about it. Yes, there's a big fireball in the sky. Ooh. We're constantly being barraged with radiation. That 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 is scary when you put it that way. The sun is basically forever screaming hot wet death <laughs> at us. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we need it to live. We do. Welcome to Night Vale. Welcome to Night Vale indeed. Yeah. Yeah. The quest is still getting some stuff coming to it. It's been nice to to play around with some more VR games. One of my favorite like PC VR games finally came to it, which is uh Audio Shield, which is kind of like Beat Saber, but you have shields and you have to use them to block incoming projectiles that are coming from the sky. Uh, that one's nice in that can, it auto-generates beats based on putting your own music into it, so you don't just have to use the music that comes bundled with the with the software. It's pretty good at making its, like, things go in time with the music, so that's nice. Um, yeah, I've just been playing VR games in the garden, really, this week. Mm-hmm. What about you lot? What have you been playing this week? I played, uh, Basingstoke. Oh, I've played that. What the fuck is that? Basingstoke is a um, roguelike zombie action game, I guess is what you'd call it. You have sort of this isometric perspective. Uh, It's made in Unity. Uh, It's all 3D. Uh, But you've got these little blocky characters that are real cute. It's real stylized. Mm. And you move through city streets and, you know, sewers and environments. It's sort of a get from point A to point B exercise. And along the way, there are zombies. And it's very stealth focused. Um, like every, it's everything will kill you in a hit. So if you start getting chased by a zombie, you'll either need to find some way to get far enough away from it that it loses interest, um, find a place to hide, or find a way to kill it, because otherwise you're going to have a problem. And then when you add in varying enemy types and uh, and, and so forth. It gets really, really interesting, and they can hear you, so there's sound mechanics involved. There, there's a lot of depth in what looks like a really surface-level, kind of goofy, cartoony uh, experience, and it's it's challenging, but it's challenging in a way that it grows with you. Every time you make it from uh, one stage to the end, all of the items you collected on that run get added to a stash that then goes with you for all subsequent stages mm. and remains at that le- level for subsequent playthroughs. So if you go back and start again, when you get to level two, all of the stuff you had collected from your prior run of level one is in the stash along with anything you just got when you completed it just now. And so over time, you build this inventory in levels that lets you craft things earlier and have better equipment going into stages as you progress. Um, And then there's unlocks for character types. And so it really expands out and it becomes a lot both deeper and broader than it would appear at first glance. Um, It's also just kind of an interesting story because this is a... 
uh, developer that when they announced this game, they were in kind of serious financial trouble. Yeah, this is uh, Puppy Games, is it? Puppy Games, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there were stories going around in 2014 about how they were starting work on this because they only had a few months of development revenue or development funds to get it out the door. And then it took four years for the game to release, um, which is wild. And so they have a, like a really thorough uh, postmortem uh, on their Patreon because they are now on Patreon. They're still around, amazingly. Yeah. Uh, and and the game did makes it got great reviews because it is a pretty good game. Uh, did not make a ton of money, and certainly not anywhere near the kind of money necessary to account for a four-year development cycle. But um, it is fun. It is very charming. It's hard. And I, when I read the, the postmortem, I'm like, oh, God, this was a lot harder. Yeah. I, here's the thing I'll say about its difficulty right now is the first few runs you make feel pretty damn punishing. And, like, the, the, the intention is that, like, if you stick with it, it definitely does start to open up. Okay, you've got enough stuff that you're gonna... You're gonna have more options, it's gonna feel a little easier going in, but up front it is a little daunting um, in yeah. places. Yeah, well, that just... It, the way it's designed to any combat encounter is potentially a lethal one. Um, and you don't have a weapon, to, to start at best you have some sandwiches that you can use to distract enemies uh, which is effective but yeah but there's there's no ramping up to it it being one hit kills it's just no throw you right in it go yeah yeah um of course by the time you've managed to clear that first stage the first time those challenges are almost laughably easy also but it does require the persistence to get over that initial hurdle um yeah uh, damn, it is really good uh, when, once you can dig into it. And uh, I hope people go back and and check it out because it's, it's pretty cool. It's a really charming little game for sure. When did it come out again? Uh, 2018. Well, yeah, 2018, I believe, is when it came out of uh, early access. It had been kicking around as a playable thing like before that. I can't remember how long. Yeah, I think around 2016 they started playtesting. Yeah. Yeah, as someone from the UK as well, there's a lot of little touches to their world design that are very... Just like, okay, that is clearly someone who has been to a town like Basingstoke. It is it is that very kind of just specific enough British design that is quite charming. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little game. Imagine if the person who made Basingstoke hadn't been to Basingstoke. What kind of idiot would base a form of media around a town or city they've never been to. It would have to be some kind of moron, so I'm glad they did come from Basingstoke. Yeah, that would be really embarrassing for those people. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But borderline career-shattering. Just just don't work with them. Uh, Fraudulent hats. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, can't can't recommend that game enough. It is it is a real fun little uh, little game. That. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jim? What you been playing? Um. Oh. Uh. Slay the Spire. Yeah. That's a card 
based thing, right? That card-based roguelike thing. Yeah, I see Casey Explosion playing it all the time. Mm. Yeah, everyone said it was the best game ever made. And? Is it the best game ever made? (laughs) Is is it just great and not perfect? It's pretty... It's Here's the thing. I can't stop playing it. (laughs) I really can't. But I've never entered a run feeling good about what happened. I've always felt left a run feeling like completely defeated. Like the game just decided you have gotten far enough, my friend. And now I get to win. And then it wins. And sometimes you 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 can just tell it's over long before the game concludes. Um but the the moment to moment interactions of it are great. It is a great game mechanically and i'm enjoying just playing it even though i always seem to hit a real brick wall but yeah yeah it's a card based roguelike thing um you start out at the bottom of a map which is just sort of symbols connected with dots and there are like monster faces for fights and a little purse for a shop and little question marks which are like choose your own adventure style things with a little bit of flavor, a little bit of storytelling, and then a choice, you know, do you want to get a card, but it costs so and such and such HP? Just so those kinds of choices, multiple choice things. Um, the fights are really cool. There are a few character classes that unlock as you play, and they've got access to different types of cards. Um, you get, by default, three points three energy points and the cards cost anywhere from one to three there are some that are a bit more expensive but you can change the costs of things and get more energy uh, points as well through various cards and and bonuses and things and yeah yeah they're like simple cards like you know deal nine damage um and status effects and chances to draw more cards and get more energy As you build a hand and progress through each level and unlock more cards and add them to your hand, um, you can get into some really interesting combinations, um, especially because healing is really restricted. There are a few little rest sites dotted throughout the map. There's one before a boss and then maybe one other um, before then. Uh, Sometimes you can luck out and get more, but... Healing's really limited, so in each battle you've also got to consider mitigating and negating damage. So you've got defense cards and attack cards, and you've only got this pool of three points. Um, But the game also lets you know what the enemy's going to do before they do it. So they have a little symbol above their head with the amount of damage they intend to do. So you can work out, well... Maybe I can sneak an attack in and then play two block cards and that will cover it. Or I can play a card that will throw uh, the weak status effect on them and then reduce the amount of damage they do. So I can bring that figure under my block total. So there's a lot of fun little strategy there. And then each class has its own little extra thing. Like there's um, the Whisper, which can do poison damage and a lot of cards inflict that status and then do further things to enemies with that status. And then the other one, the defect it's called, which is this weird little robot thing that has these little orb slots above its head that you can fill with um, uh, elements, I guess, that are 
do different things. So if you've got a lightning element in the slot, it will deal lightning damage at the end of every turn. Or if there's ice in there, it will give you block at the end of every turn. So every character has its own little complication. But for the most part, it's just these really cool turn-based battles of, like, dealing with what the enemy's going to throw at you while trying to throw stuff back at them. And it's really, really fun. Really fun. And, and quite tricky. So it's, it's very good. Um, but every now and then, or certainly at the end of every run, I've just felt like I got fucked. Yeah. Because it is very, very restrictive with the amount you can play each turn. And there are various statuses and, and curses you can pick up that throw things into your hands that you can't play or that might deal damage to you or something like that. And there are certain fights, especially when they can just fill your hand with that stuff. And then at a critical moment, you've got nothing to play because it's all slime cards that can't do anything um, and stuff like that. But until that moment, until the moment at the end of every run where I feel empty and sad inside, I'm having a blast. So, you know, it's doing a lot right. That seems like a, an okay ratio of good time to miserable. That's <laughs> it. I can't stop playing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can't stop playing it, it's going to be doing something. It's going to be doing something, something right to outweigh the bad. Yeah, because because I said the gameplay itself is is really good, mm. really really good. Can't overstate that. And people who are better at everything than me might be able to do it better. So you know, and as as you play, you do pick up you know more and more knowledge of how each character works and start to anticipate the kinds of builds you can make depending on the cards you're picking up along the way. Um, that's part of the key to it is w with each class, not just knowing how to play them one way, but multiple ways. So the, because the cards you get throughout are generally random, except for the default starting hands you get. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I really, really do like it. Uh, it just makes me feel really hollow <laughs> at, at intervals. I'm looking forward to that shark game coming out on Friday. Oh, Maneater? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I mean, it continues to look really fun when I've seen it pop up. It looks like you can customise the shark all up. I believe that is the case, yeah. If that's true, that's all I care about. If I can make my, if I can make my dream shark. What is your dream shark? Tell us about, oh, what, yeah. if you could make any shark oh. in the world, what shark would you be? Right. First of all, baseline, hammerhead shark, they're the coolest. Yeah, agreed. They got eyes on the end of stalks. They're like that thing at the background of the Mos Eisley Cantina. They're fucking cool, right? It sounds like David Duchovny to lull you into a, a false sense of security, like you're going to be safe. Like, oh, David's here. <laughs> Everything's going to yes. be fine. Yes, because when I think of people who I'm going to feel safe around, <laughs> David Duchovny tops my list. It's just David Duchovny swimming at me in the ocean with his big, sharp teeth. I feel so safe now. Yeah. Um, oh, the teeth glow in the dark. Of course. Oh, yeah. The teeth, yeah. It's David Duchovny. I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't they glow in the dark? Um, they that, that That's just cool. Uh, also, it's full of bees. I mean, and it's on wheels. I feel like some of the effect is lost if you put the bees inside a shark because it'll be underwater. No one will be able to hear the bees, unless that's the point. Oh no, that's is, the best. Is bit. that the best bit? Okay. Each each bee is in its 
each bee is in its mini little diving suit. And it's got a, a little speaker on the back that goes underwater. Like it, it makes all the bubbles really loud. I'm winging this. So the sound, the sounds are trapped in the bubbles. And when they hit the surface, they pop and you can hear it. Right? That's how that works. Like in a cartoon. They got little radios. <laughs> they got little radios. And, 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 and one of the bees is very good at uh, getting into people's frequencies. So that just, you, you can hear them. If man- you can hear them underwater. They're, the, they're in the shark. I don't know. Hey, Jim, <laughs> if Manita doesn't let you make this shark now, I'm going to be very disappointed. I need, to, I need to email the developers and ask if they got David Codney to voice the shark. Laura, I said I wanted to make my dream shark. I wasn't <laughs> expecting a follow-up question. You, I, it was a hollow, weak thing I said, and you, and you exposed me by expecting content, and now we've both got egg on our face. No, you're the only one with egg on your face. I I got content out of you, Jim. Don't deny it. Content occurred. Oh, you think you haven't got egg on your face, but one thing you're about to learn is that when I go down, I drag everyone with me. I'd like to see you try. The cock will crow three times for you, and then it will lay an egg. Which will, will be on my face, I'm imagining. Cause... That was implicit in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said the, the quiet part out loud, huh? I didn't, I didn't follow through. <laughs> I, I, I thought the egg was enough, but, but the threat isn't the egg being laid, it is the egg going in your face. So that, that was an error on my part, and I'm glad you saw that and, and fo- followed it up, because the listeners are probably thinking, well, that, there's nothing scary about an egg, it's just an egg. <laughs> And they're delicious, as we've established in a previous... Yeah. Well, I won't reference a previous podcast because of the new listeners who have come in for the soft reboot. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's that's no longer canon. Our love of eggs is banished to the realm of... I mean, we could establish as, as canon again, but, you know... Well, we'll do a soft reboot for the eggs as well, and we'll call it the... <laughs> the soft-boiled reboot. Oh! Mm. Like an egg. Like an egg, like a soft boiled egg, dip your toast in it. Mm. Uh, so I played, I played another game this week. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. I, I'm sorry, I'll take it back. I didn't play any other games <laughs> at all, Jim. <laughs> Brilliant. That's what I like to hear. Oh, what did you play? <laughs> sorry, I'll get there in a minute now. Yeah, don't worry. Take your time. <laughs> So I, I went back and replayed Beyond Good and Evil, Ooh. which is that game that I like very much, and I haven't played it in a couple of years. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the last time I played it was about yeah, about two years ago, and that'll be important. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, first up, I just want to say, never play the PC version of this game. I did. It was the worst decision. It was a terrible, terrible, oh, no. terrible choice. Um mm. Considering that this game had controller support on consoles, somehow in 2020 it still doesn't have any form of controller support on PC. Initially the game ran at 20 frames a second, and then it ran with every single texture flashing in rainbows. It's it, it took a lot of work to get it to run, and even then like you can't alt-tab out of it, you can't Windows key out of it, it doesn't get recognised by streaming software. The PC port of this is not a good version of this game. But I eventually got it to play, and I mean, 
at its core, I still love Beyond Good and Evil. I, I, of all the kind of mostly linear action adventure games set in in sort of openish hubs, you know, sort of three D Zelda type games. Yeah, I think what I still love mechanically about this so much is I love how many different gameplay mechanics it throws in throughout its adventure that some of them will only be around for like three, four minutes and then just like, ah, we'll throw that mechanic away, we'll throw another one in, and they all feel really good to play. They also feel natural, which is something that I find really curious about it. There's a a sense that, yeah, this fits, this makes sense, even though there is just such a packed-in mess of different mechanics, or it would seem that way. It tries to do so much, and it's it's really competent at, at every single one, more or less. Every Everything it tries to do is handled competently, uh, if not well. None of it feels rushed or wedged in or forced in where it didn't need to be, which is so unlike modern Ubisoft to be like, we're going to create this entire like mechanic that's going to be really fun that we just leave behind after 20 minutes. I still think like the, the overall, overall like the world design and the character design and the way they've built that world is fascinating. Um, it holds up really well visually still. Like for a game that was sort of going for a realism sort of look, it's not aged nearly as terribly as I always picture it in my head it is still somewhat stylized that in a way that helps it yeah yeah it it i'm I'm not saying it's trying to be like assassin's creed or which i think came out the same day as this game but like it's certainly no wind waker no but it still visually holds up really nicely and the way it eases you into its setting is is really cool too because you start on that island and you're taking the photos yeah. of the kids and it just sort of gently brings you into it. Um, yeah. It, it's great design overall. Yeah, and also I love the the relatively short length of that game. Like, I, I've played that on my own when I'm not doing it on stream and within about six hours, you know, six, seven hours you can do a playthrough, which mm-hmm. is about the kind of length where, like, I will go back to that pretty regularly i can afford to go yeah i'll sit down for a couple of sittings and replay this the weirdest thing about going back to replay it and yeah it is what it is um i know that this game's view of how easy it is for journalists to take down corrupt political structures was always a fantasy Mm. it was always an exaggerated over the top like hey this photojournalist took 10 blurry jpegs of the government doing some bad things and the people rose up and got in their spaceships and went to shoot the government. Mm. But like, it always felt like a plausible fantasy in the past. <laughs> it, it seemed more plausible a long time ago. Yeah. It seemed a considerably more plausible fantasy than it did. Cause I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've played this since Brexit and Trump and COVID and all the fucking conspiratorial nonsense and... Fake news. Yeah, the the fake news era and whatever. And it's kind of depressing to be like, ah, I remember when it seemed plausible that someone might take photos of the government doing a crime and the people might go, the government did a crime, get them. This thing upon <laughs> which the entire inspiring sort of denouement of the story yeah. is rotted away yeah as our as our systems collapse around us yeah and what's left is hollow and empty and and let's be fair i'm i uh, 
I finished playing it, and I'm, I'm, I've initially my feeling was just like, oh god, the world has really fucking slipped since I last played this, huh? <sighs> and I've been trying to like think about it in the, the the days since, and just go like, I mean, we could use this as a way to be optimistic and go, hey, look, the world used to at least be more like this. Maybe we can get back there. You know, the world hasn't always been this terrible. Maybe it won't be this terrible in the future, but gosh, gosh, yeah, it was a weird... It was weird feeling how differently the, the end of that narrative hit for me. Mm-hmm. But at its core, still a really fun game to play. I, I like going around the, taking photos of space whales. Paige, best adoptive oh. dad ever in a video game. Mm. Oh my god, Paige... Page is fantastic. I I still love his fart powered jet boots. Mm-hmm. Take taking an aspect of himself that is a you know a bit of a drawback and going, no, I'm gonna harness this. He's amazing. He I is. adore him. Um and one other thing that like I don't think this game gets enough credit for, particularly considering like at the time it released, obviously the 3D Zeldas were kind of one of the only things really doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least the big example of it. Um, I think this does combat, perhaps not better, but in an equally good and very different way. I like that it doesn't rely on uh, a lock-on system that gets you in one-on-one combat. And basically, no matter how big a group of enemies is fighting you, you're always fighting one-on-one. I like that instead, you've got this whole combo system where you can change which direction you're attacking mid-combo string, and Jade will just sort of fluidly move around as if like, oh yeah, I knew we, I knew you were going to hit that one next, of course. And it makes... it It's really nice getting to fight crowds of enemies by sort of managing like, okay, next hit's over there, into a hit over there, backflip into a hit over there. It all feels so bloody simple because it's just directions and button taps, but it feels a lot cooler than what you're actually doing. It's a really nice combat system. Just beating stuff up with a stick in that game is real fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really hoping we get like a decent port of that. Like, I hope when Beyond Good and Evil Two happens eventually. Which, uh... well, you know, Ubisoft will wait a little while and then do what it always does. It'll do another remaster of Beyond Good and Evil and then say, you know, if you buy this, oh, <laughs> there might be a sequel in it for you because they did that with the first remaster of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that. I'm not even... I, I don't even want a proper sequel to this anymore. Fuck it, I've given up on that. No, no, good, because you weren't going to get one. No, 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 I know. But, like, when Beyond Good and Evil 2 happens, I want them to go, this shit ain't fitting on the Switch. Have the original as a nice port on the Switch. Because I, I, I like that game very much, and I just want it on the little box that I like playing my games on. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else played anything else this week? Yes! What was it? Oh, you want that bit as well, do you? I mean, okay. ide- ideally... Well then, I, I suppose I could, I could divulge. I played Titanfall too. Oh, Titanfall too. Played the campaign again. That campaign's really good, huh? It really is still really, really good. I need to get back to that. Uh, really short, but my god, the the wall running. I think it's still got the best first person wall running and general environmental navigation I've played. Mm. It is very good. It feels so damn graceful and trustworthy. There are a lot of games where I can't trust that when I jump. I will land where I'm expecting to land. Sure. With Titanfall 2, I know that when I'm running on this wall and heading to this wall, I know how to do it, and the game will cover that. The game knows what I'm doing, and it just feels... 
it's the closest to games felt to an extension of what my of what I want to do. Mm. If that makes sense. It just feels like more of an ex- the the character feels like more of an extension of me than in pretty much any other first person shooter. It's just that responsive and direct even on a fucking controller let alone anything else. Um they did an incredible job with that. And I hope one day we do still get a Titanfall 3 though. You know, Apex is so popular. Oh, they they they've officially said there's no uh, Titanfall game in the works. That that was, I think, this week. Oh, they did say no, none in the works. Yeah, yeah, like literally this week, they were like, ah, fuck it. Apex Legends did too well. Not making Titanfall for a while. It's a shame. It's a shame. The campaign's still really, really good. Oh god, it is one of my favourite um, sort of single player campaigns for that kind of thing in a long time. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the the level where you switch between the past and the present mm, is still it's really good. I'm, I'm a sucker in general for levels where you interact both with the past and the present in as 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 you go through the level. Like there's one of those in Skyward Sword, and I still think it's the best part of that game. We have a little orb that's like aha, the, the, the orb, the area surrounding the orb is in the past, but everything else is in the present. That's a fucking good level. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we had a we had a few bits of newsy di- kind of things that happened this week. Yeah. Uh, so you know how Anthem released a while ago and it completely bombed and they stopped making content for it and that was a whole thing they just stopped making content. That's okay because they are working on a big major massive update and I'm sure you're about to tell me that production's gone swimmingly on it. Uh, almost, almost. They have been working on it and. Work on it is considerably harder than they expected, and it's going to take a lot longer uh? than they expected, and work on the game has been delayed indefinitely, no. and this is the problem with fucking live service games. It, oh, th- this is the one. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, okay, it's there's just a lot this one. that are... Prob- but this is a one. <laughs> Developers and publishers need to... I, I, I don't know why I was about to say they need to learn it. They, they know it, that... You, when you just shit out a game and think we can fix it later, there's a considerable amount of work yeah. to do it. Also, what's the encouragement to actually finish it at this point? Because it's like, I don't think when you fix it, people are in their droves going to go and buy it again to make up the money that you lost because they didn't buy it before. From the sounds of it, the new consoles will have been out for a comfortable amount of time before we see this anthem update yeah especially when you factor in how long all the remote working must yeah uh you know take as well so i don't get the point of it yeah don't you want to dig out your last gen console and play an update that maybe fixes a game that you've long forgotten about at this point it feels like no i'm not saying that they shouldn't feel obligated to make this game live up to the promise that it was sold under. But at the same time, they do seem to be operating... I I could only imagine them doing this out of pride now. And pride is not going to make up for this game's bullshit. It's not going to make it okay. They are putting a lot of work into something that very few people are probably going to take the effort to revisit. Yeah, I mean, they could announce, you know... Uh, some enhanced next-gen version that previous customers can download or whatever. Or maybe not even enhanced, just make it playable on there and then people can download it. Mm. But that's the only way I could see 
any significant overhaul to this being worth it at this point. I, I reckon, like, the way they do it is they go, hey, if you already have it on the last-gen consoles, you've got it on the new console, but for new people, we're going to add, like, a subtitle to the end of it to make it sound like it's a new game, yeah. and that's when we'll put the patch in, and, hey, enjoy Anthem Afterburn. It works now. They'll, they'll rename it Anthem 2. I mean, probably. I suppose it's... I don't know. If the vast majority of Anthem players are doing it on PC, I don't even know what vast majority even means for Anthem's player base. Um, it might not be such a waste of time, but it, it really does feel like they're throwing good money after bad at this point. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that the, the big update gets cancelled in the future. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the concurrent player numbers are horrendously abysmal and, you know, I, I don't see that getting better anytime soon. No, it just feels like a big waste of time and money. Yeah. It feels like it would be cheaper to just refund everyone if you feel obligated to make good on the game's promise. Just, it feels like it's it will be cheaper and quicker to just do that if you want to waste money on this project. Uh... Uh, only other things we got is uh, we got a bit more of a sense of what this summer's not E3 is going to end up looking like. Seems like Nintendo's just not going to bother with Nintendo Directs, because they had that statement Mm. the other week where they were like, hey, we, you know, we're not doing an E3 Direct, you know, when we would have done it on E3 week, because we can't get it together in time, because... Everyone's remote working. And it seems like they're now just putting trailers out for games as and when they've got them ready. So, like, there was a Paper Mario trailer this week that was just like, oh, yeah, that game's coming in two months. Here's a trailer. Hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, I think I think Nintendo's going to once again prove here, like, it doesn't matter how, how or when you put trailers out, people will watch them. This trailer was not in a direct, and people, millions of people watched it the first day, because, of course, they did. Yeah. I mean, the same with the Unreal 5 footage. If you have that level of brand and market awareness and that's kind of the thing that we should be a little bit wary about in terms of losing big showcase events like E3 because we're right you know and we talk about it all the time that it's a tremendous major industry circle jerk however there are tangible benefits for some development studios and publishers that otherwise do not get access to the platforms of those big companies who will get to retain them when they take their ball and go home. So that can suck. Yeah, like like this model will work great for Nintendo marketing existing IPs, um, you know, that everyone already knows from first party studios. But what it doesn't give you is Here's that in that really cool looking indie game that would have got, you know, uh, a minute of time in the middle of a direct that millions of people would have seen that now they won't bother to look at. Although to their credit, the platform holders at least do a decent job of promoting platforming the games they have. Also, I don't know if y'all saw the the indie festival, the online one that um, a bunch of fairly reputable indie devs have put together. Yeah. The Gorilla Collective. Mm. Uh, Yes. Uh, So I have a list up of like the things that are happening now over the next few months, just because I realized I hadn't had a look and I didn't really have a sense of what was happening or when. Um, So I'll just skim through. Uh, Yeah, there's the Gorilla Collective. Um, which is the sort of indie showcase. It's got uh, Frostpunk developers, uh, 
Baldur's Gate 3 is probably going to be shown, the Banner Saga. They've got like Rebellion, Paradox, Larian, like some big names as well. Yeah, they, they, they've got a decent like selection of stuff and that's happening on uh, June 6th. Uh, what else have we got? Paradox are doing some kind of presentation on June 6th as well. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, they'll probably be gameplay of. Uh, PC Gaming Show, can't fucking kill that. Got, got to have <laughs> Hey, that'll outlast us all. Got to have your PC trailers sandwiched with awkward, slow-paced interviews that really kill the pacing. They'll just now be done on Zoom instead of, you know, being yeah. uh, behind a desk and on a couch trying to pull some Tonight Show shit. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, we have another contender to the PC gaming show. Uh-oh. The Games Radar Presents Future Games Show. Oh, fuck. Games from the future? Uh, <laughs> is no one safe? Um, so Future is the publisher that owns PC Gamer and runs the PC gaming show and also owns Games Radar. So it seems like this is going to be the PC gaming show, but not for PC games. Is it for... Like, games are made by the writers that they laid off. Future lays off a lot of people. But basically, Future lays off people all the time. Yeah. They've laid off entire development studios. Yeah, yes. Future. Future, just for the pleasure of it, goes to other companies <laughs> and they say, let, let us fire your staff. Oh, wait, no, we call them layoffs, wink. I'm having a look at this. Apparently it will feature exclusive trailers, announcements, and deep dives on existing AAA and indie games, focusing on current and next-gen consoles, mobile, and streaming platforms. So prepare to get some fucking Stadia news in there, probably. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Here's a funny thing, right? Yeah. Um... So I got my internet when I moved to Philly. Yeah. And it came with a free stadia. Did it? Just to send off and get access to the um The Founders thing. Edition or the whatever Founders they call it. Founders Edition with the controller and that. And then I moved within Philly again, as I said, to another place. And the rep said, you know what? If we just cancel and start you up again. Um, you know, it's just one of them things to keep the price the same and all that bullshit. So I'm, whatever, fine, do it. I'm liable for a second free stadia. <laughs> well. <laughs> that information on its own is funny to me. Oh, no, that is hilarious. I, do, I, I haven't taken them up on it. I could get it, but what's the point? Oh. The controllers are nice, though, I guess. I could suppose I could do it and get a second controller out of it. Yeah. Um... On Thursday the 12th of June, Cyberpunk is just having its own come watch a bunch of gameplay. I'll watch a bunch of gameplay, I guess. Yeah, that that'll that that game will be close enough to release that we might actually see something representative of his sort of what the game is like. Is there anything to do with the um the the, the Avengers game? Uh who's publishing that again? That's Square Enix. It's still slated for this year, I think. Uh, I'm having a look through. I don't Square Enix, I don't believe have currently announced anything. No, they've not announced doing like yeah. a Square Enix presentation. I feel doubtful we may see it. This year. EA is having a press conference on June 12th, which definitely won't have updates on Anthem. We know that much. <laughs> Nor did they last year. Yeah. What a fucking waste. The game had come out February of last year. A few months later, at E3, EA had nothing for yeah. it. For their live <laughs> service. For their 10-year plan. 
These games are bullshit. Uh, there's another one that I hadn't heard of before that I think got announced today. There's going to be the new Game Plus Expo on June 23rd, which is... Is it exclusively about games with new Game Plus modes? Because I love new Game Plus modes. Uh, I cannot confirm or deny how many of these games will have new Game Plus oh, modes. Burn it to the ground. So this is this is like a bunch of mid-sized developers or bigger developers, but like that wouldn't have their own E3 conferences yeah. coming together to do a, a conference themselves. So this is Sega, Atlas, Koei Tecmo... Grasshopper? So I'm guessing No More Heroes 3, maybe? Mm, um, maybe. Uh, Spike Chunsoft, um, SNK. It's just a bunch of developers that have banded together to do a thing together. Alright, cool. Um, there's going to be one conference that is just entirely dedicated to Warframe. I, I, I enjoyed what I played at that. Not going to pay attention to a conference about it. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I liked playing it quite a bit, but yeah. I'm over it now. Plus, it its monetization didn't mm. did start to go off the rails. It's one of those things that, if you know, having stuck around as long as it has by this point, it has a dedicated enough fan base, and the production cost of putting together a stream for it makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think last one we've got is Ubisoft are doing a conference, which will probably have. Watch Dogs, Legion, Assassin's Creed actually see some actual gameplay of that, maybe. Some real gameplay would be interesting, yeah. Beyond Good and Evil 2, we'll probably find out what state that's yeah. in. Maybe, who knows. I'm mainly in mm. interested in, will there be more information about fucking Roller Champions? They're going to cancel Beyond Good and Evil 2. They are. They'll use coronavirus as an excuse. <laughs> and they'll say, because they want to do it. Because Yves Jumeau, right, he gets off on it. They want something to blame so that they don't have to say we cancelled it again. No. Uh, lastly of note, Microsoft, Sony and Nintendo, none of them have announced any plans officially. It's wild. Which is wild in a year with two... It's amazing. Like, next generation consoles coming out in like six months. Two. The next generation of, of video games is arriving before the end of this year. And the thing is, it feels... It, Part of why it feels like there's not enough time left is because I keep forgetting we're not even halfway through this fucking year yet. Oh, this year is eternal. It's so awful. But I, at the same time, they do have now half a year, less than half a year before we see stuff. And, and I don't know any, anything that matters about these consoles. I know Mark Cerny ran his fucking mouth about shit that doesn't matter to real people. They've both got solid state drives and they're going to load really fast and there's no more loading times. And the Xbox, you can have like five games paused at once and uh, the PlayStation's got buttons that get hard when you push them. Well, I do as well, but Mark Cerny doesn't talk about <laughs> me in his little live streams, does he? When by normal people, I do mean just like regular fucking chumps. I don't care about that. I don't even care about that. And I'm like one millimeter above a chump. So I just want to see good games and tell me which games are good. Are they great or perfect? I don't know, Sony and Microsoft. Tell me what to think before I spend my goddamn money on you. Tell me where I should spend my money. So yeah, that's 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 what E three is looking like. It's weird to think that like that's that's in like a week and a half, two weeks that that's all like 
I can't believe this meant to be still three doing times. This year, I don't on time is I don't understand time anymore. I don't get anything. I don't. Oh. What happened? I mean, I know what happened, but what happened? Yeah. Why? <sighs> the bigger question is why does it keep happening? Yeah, it's like I, I know God's mad. <laughs> But he's holding a grudge. We've sat on the naughty step for like two months, God. Can we go outside now, please? Gonna go outside and buy some apples. <laughs> no, not apples. God doesn't like it when people eat apples. I can get my hands on apples if I need them. God famously dislikes people eating apples. That's true. He's got a bit of a hang-up. Uh, I think that's everything this week. That'll, That'll do. do. Yeah. There we go. That's, That'll that's do. the week. Get rid. I'm going to go back to Slay the Spire and have a sad time. <laughs> But And when I do that, people might want to listen and see and read more things, Laura, and I'm sure you could help them out. I can help them out with that. Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Uh, you can find me Twitch streaming Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Everything I post ends up on laurakbuzz.com, be it written articles, freelance features, videos, podcasts, all that sort of stuff. I've been doing a bunch of uh, written and video features this week. Uh, I, I I wrote one about Beyond Good and Evil and my sort of depressing feelings about the state of the world after playing that and how that, that, that felt. And I also wrote something about Zelda enemies social distancing, because apparently the state of the world is the only thing I can really think about right now, and it's going in my writing. Other than that, I've got books. There's Uncomfortable Labels. It's about being gay and trans and on the autism spectrum. There's Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which is coming out on February 4th, 2021. Sorry about the delay. Really couldn't help this. Uh, I've also got a bunch of podcasts. There is Pixel Squirt, where I talk about video game character pornography with Mario and Stacey from Geek Remix. There is Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I talk about things that aren't exclusively video games. There's Dice Funk, where we play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's a it's a real play fifth edition podcast. Every season is a self-contained story, so you can just jump in wherever. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, uh, and season seven is going to be starting like any minute now. Uh, we just wrapped up. Uh, I think the last episode goes up on Sunday. We did a little mini arc that was basically fantasy Ace Attorney Phoenix Wright. Do a, do a courtroom battle, but with everyone's got magic powers. That's like four or five episodes long, so if you want like a little taster of what Dice Funk's like without committing to a whole big long season, that's probably a good one to listen to. You know who else is on Dice Funk? Conrad. Oh, that's right, I am. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, you can watch me on Twitch. I'm on most weekdays, uh, starting 2 p.m. Eastern for a few hours. Uh, that's at uh, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Um, I think I'm going to keep playing Basingstoke the rest of the week, frankly, at this point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of gotten back into that grind. Uh, let's see. Oh, and you can also see this cat that is crawling all over my lap now for reasons of, uh, Go go uh you can hear me on some other podcasts with jim uh, oh wait no i'm doing this out of order you can uh, buy buttons from me at pinfultruth.com with anti-capitalist propaganda on it you can buy audiobooks at conradreads.com you can hear me on some other podcasts uh i do of horse uh, bojack horseman fan cast talking about 
Bojack Horseman. Uh, you can hear me on Dice Funk, as previously mentioned. You can catch me on Boston's Favorite Son trying to make Jonathan famous, which... I don't know if that's ever going to happen at this rate. He might do it next. He might be able to do it next week. Okay, cool. Uh, he, um, <laughs> I love the way he speaks. He told me that I, I, I am such a peon who knows what will happen to me next. <laughs> that's how he describes himself and his ability to record. Um, but he, he may be able to do it next week. He's trying to make it work with his, his work and family stuff. But he, he is a peon and, and doesn't know what will happen. Uh, God, that lovely, lovely boy. So, yeah, you can listen to that. Uh, you can listen to Spinoff Doctors when we get a new episode done, which really I ought to get. That's that's on me. And, yeah, so don't bug Jim about it because it's, it's on me. I won't see it if you do. That's true. That, that's also true. So just don't waste the effort. But, uh, but Jim, you have a Patreon, right? I do have a Patreon. You can see it. It's at patreon.com slash jimquisition. And thanks everyone for their support on there. Always greatly appreciated, especially in these uncertain times. Um, it's 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 a relief. So thank you so much for that. Um, otherwise, I mean, everyone knows where my stuff is. It's on the internet. Uh, all that remains to be said is thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 It's nothing else to say, is there? Not really, no. Bye. Uh, bye.